Ying, and you're listening to This is Purdue, the official podcast for Purdue University. As a Purdue alum and Indiana native, I know firsthand about the family of students and professors who are in it together, persistently pursuing and relentlessly rethinking. Who are the next game changers, difference makers, ceiling breakers, innovators? Who are these boilermakers? Join me as we feature students, faculty, and alumni taking small steps toward their giant leaps and inspiring others to do the same. To be on a team that has a chance to win the Indy 500, it makes me feel really good to have that opportunity. I definitely wouldn't have got here if I wouldn't have chosen to go to Purdue. Purdue tends to foster an environment of continually learning and curiosity. And I think from a racing standpoint, that's actually more important a lot than sometimes just the technical part. You can tell the difference between a Purdue engineering grad and other schools. It's that time of year again, Boilermakers. Welcome to May. Let's kick this episode off a bit differently. Let's start with a quick game of trivia. Do you know which IndyCar team has the most Indianapolis 500 wins? Okay, time's up. The answer is Team Penske. Did you get it right? Team Penske is one of the most successful teams in the history of professional sports. Now in its 57th season in 2023, the team has earned 18 Indy 500 victories. In this episode of This is Purdue, we're celebrating the month of May with Matt Kubel and Mike Koenigs, Team Penske IndyCar engineers and Purdue University alums. Matt, who graduated in May 2022 with his mechanical engineering degree, and Mike, an aeronautical and astronautical engineering alum who graduated in 2003, discuss their Purdue College of Engineering journeys and what it's like working for one of the most well-known legendary teams in motorsports. These two Boilermakers work on all three Team Penske IndyCar entries that will be racing in the 2023 Indianapolis 500 at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Those three drivers are Joseph Newgarden, Will Power, and Scott McLaughlin. You'll hear more about the persistent grit and attention to detail required to be part of a winning Indy 500 team and how their Purdue education set them up for success in the professional motorsports world. We'll kick this episode off with the most recent Purdue graduate of the two. Matt tells us how he first found out about Purdue University. So I'm from the southeastern part of the state. Down by uh, Ohio and Kentucky, I could go 20 minutes and be in Ohio or 20 minutes and be in Kentucky. Growing up, you know, you always hear about Purdue, but uh, like the first person that really kind of sticks with me about Purdue is, is my sixth grade math teacher. And my sixth grade English and reading teacher was an IU guy. So they were always button heads about Purdue, IU rivalry, but he had all the memorabilia and wore Purdue gear and, and it was always talking about, you know, sports games or whatever. So that's kind of where I first started to really learn about Purdue. I knew I wanted to do something with cars growing up, and uh, I was taking some dual credit engineering courses through a local community college during my high school. And I was also pretty good at math, so engineering kept popping into the picture when talking about what I want to do. That was like the logical choice. And then I was looking at engineering schools, and uh, my sister at the time was also attending Purdue. She graduated with a chemical engineering degree. So I had some background about the school, but uh, Once I started kind of telling people that I was interested in engineering, Purdue just kept coming up, kept coming up, kept coming up. And I was, you know, I just had always heard about it. So it was always in the back of my mind. But then once I started looking at options, it just became the best option logistically for me being an in-state student, its connections in the industry, and then also just the vast opportunities within Purdue. I don't think I really understood all the opportunities and the resources that were available until I actually got there. And I was just surprised my first year, just pretty overwhelmed, but excited that I had all those opportunities ahead of me. So Matt, who has worked for Team Penske for about a year now as a design engineer, grew up a race fan, but he wasn't actually an avid IndyCar fan. He was much more into NASCAR. My parents were season ticket, well, annual ticket holders to the Brickyard 400. So we always grew up watching NASCAR. And Jeff Gordon was like my idol at the time. I did a, I did a paper and a presentation on him in fourth grade, but he was always my favorite. So I grew up like watching NASCAR. There was a local dirt track nearby. We went and watched sprint cars there and modified cars and whatnot. And just the roar of the engine going by, the smell of the fuel, just seeing people getting after it and just the atmosphere of being at, the, at that local dirt track, it had me hooked. 
And my dad was also a mechanic, so I was always around cars. I just kind of grew up around it. And then, yeah, here we are. And here he is, working within the professional motorsports world as an engineer. But at what point did Matt know his passion for racing could intertwine with a full-time career? My second to last year, I was one of the drivetrain leads on the Baja SAE team. We ended up doing very well that year. That was coming out of COVID. So that was spring 2021. We had designed the whole car again from scratch and converted to four-wheel drive, which was just a massive undertaking, especially with the restrictions due to COVID. But that competitive kind of spirit got a little flowing a little more. I really began to connect with racing and really got super interested in it. And then over that summer, I just started looking at jobs. I was like, why Why couldn't I get into this? You know, I would hear about my friends getting jobs at Tesla or SpaceX or some of those cool companies, but I wanted to do race cars. So I was like, if they're getting these cool jobs, you know, why can't I just go a little different industry? So then I started looking and then started talking and, and you just start to hear stories about how people did, did get there and what their background was. And mine just wasn't too far off. So I took that last year at school where I was the president of the Baja SA team. And uh, just really milked that experience, got as much as I could out of it to try to prepare myself for interviews that following summer. Cause I knew if I was gonna get a job in motorsport, it was gonna be, it was gonna be after I graduated, after I had that experience. For all of our This Is Purdue listeners out there, you may remember our SAE or Society of Automotive Engineers episode from August 2022, when the podcast team went behind the scenes to check out the Purdue students' live unveiling of their custom built race cars. Matt was there. He was a senior then. I definitely recognized him from that day. He shares more about his SAE experience at Purdue. Baja SAE is kind of like an off-road go-kart on steroids, but not fully a side-by-side. So it's a little different in that aspect, but the principles of the competition are very similar. So there's each year the teams design, build, and compete a race car from scratch. So they're designing the whole thing, manufacturing the whole thing, mostly on campus, and then testing and competing it that summer against international teams and a lot of U.S., mostly U.S. teams, but there are international teams. And so the three main categories of that competition are their static, dynamic, and an endurance event. So for us on, on Baja, our static events were we presented on the design of the car, why we made the choices that we did. We presented the cost of the car, just how much it cost to make. And then there was a business presentation where they give you a scenario and they kind of tell you to market or sell the car in a certain type of scenario that changes from year to year. And then there's dynamic events. So acceleration, a sled pill or a hill climb, maneuverability, small turns. And then there's a suspension and traction or rock crawl event, which is where Baja becomes really cool and really fun. Seeing some of those cars go through those courses, you would be, people are absolutely stunned at the capabilities of those cars. There's usually a lot of carnage there too. So things break, cars roll. It's a really fun time. And then that all leads up to the endurance race. And where Baja is different than the other teams is we have a four-hour endurance race that is wheel-to-wheel with all the other teams that pass tech inspections. So the other teams don't do wheel-to-wheel, probably because they go a little quicker, but uh, we go wheel-to-wheel. So there's it gets pretty gritty. But the course is also just mayhem. There's carnage everywhere, people losing wheels, people rolling. But the whole goal is to just survive. And the team that makes the most amount of laps in that four hours ends up winning. Remember, if you want more details on SAE, head over to purdue.edu slash podcast to check out that episode. Okay, so you can probably tell Matt is incredibly passionate about his time within this Baja SAE team. In fact, he was so passionate about it that... Yes, I did skip commencement to go to the competition. And no, I absolutely do not regret it at all. It's a known thing within, you know, the SAE student world that there is a chance that your commencement lines up with a competition and it's always a, well, am I going to really skip commencement to go to this competition? Coming into that last year when I was the president of the team and I knew I was going to have put in a serious amount of time and effort into that year, I began prepping my parents pretty early before we knew the competition dates. I was like, you know, now that I'm president of this team, there's a chance that, you know, commencement comes at the same date as a competition, and I'm going to have to skip graduation. You know, I'm doing it semi-jokingly. And it's mainly my mom. My dad was like, all right, yeah, whatever. But my mom's like, ha, 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 that's so funny, Matthew. And then the dates come out, and the Tennessee Tech competition last year lines up with commencement. And I'm like, oh, boy, here we go. And I just like, I'm still joking about it. I'm like, ah, look, it did match up. 
And then about January or February, my mom calls me or I'm talking with my mom on a visit home. She's like, you're actually serious about skipping graduation for this, aren't you? And I'm like, yes, mom. Well, we better get an invite then. And I said, absolutely, you can come. And so we got a cap and gown. My mom and dad came, my brother and sister and their spouses came down. And being from Southern Indiana, it was in the middle of Tennessee. So it wasn't even a very far drive. So they made a little weekend trip come out. They came down and they were so stoked. They were like, I can totally understand why you talk about this all the time. They're like, this is so cool. It helped that we had probably the best looking car there. And we did very well. And I'm very proud of everything that we accomplished together. My parents enjoyed it so much that they came to Rochester, New York for our second competition. But there was a slight catch. Honestly, one of the biggest bummers about it was I got picked to be the School of Emmys banner bearer for commencement. I got the email like a month before. They're like, hey, you've been chosen to go to ba- you be the School of Mechanical Engineering's banner bearer for commencement and uh, like meet here to figure out the details. And I was like, oh, I'm not going. Your mom would have been so proud. <laughs> I don't even know if I told her yet, to be honest. But uh, yeah, I was like, uh, I'm not going to be there. So somebody else got to do it. But uh, while everybody was walking across the stage, I was driving in the endurance race, which definitely worth it. <laughs> Sounds like your family had a fun weekend out of it too, at least. Okay. Okay. So back to IndyCar. How did the SAE program team that up for success when it comes to working for a legendary motorsports team like Team Penske? The main thing that directly translate is that the timelines are so condensed. There's a saying that says, well, there's two sayings. To finish first, first you must finish. And then race starts at noon on Sunday. If you're not ready, the race still starts at noon on Sunday. (laughs) And so you have to be prepared. You have to be totally ready, totally organized, and everything has to be ready to go. And so the deadlines are tight and your results are very obvious. Either you win the race, you do well, or you don't. And I really enjoy that black and white obviousness and the hard, fast deadlines. There's no moving the race dates. They are what they are. So if you have things for a certain race, they have to be completed on time. And this is where the SA experience is really invaluable because you're designing a whole car from scratch. You're going through the whole engineering design process and you have to make all these parts and it takes a lot of time. So you have to structure your time and you have to be full throttle throughout the whole year, the whole school year. So nine months, nine or more months of just fully, completely planned out, you know, having that focus and having that being able to find your path of where you are and where you want to go that directly translates. And so that's been super helpful to have here. And what about Matt's College of Engineering experience? The thing that Purdue's engineering program does well, I think this is across the board of all the engineering degrees, is they really teach you well how to solve problems. And so the details of how those problems are solved are, I think, are far less important than how you actually can solve the problems. So they really ingrain, you know, break down what you have, what you don't have, what you're trying to find, and then how do you get there? And having that process is just extremely invaluable. And it takes a while to ingrain in you, but then they do very well with also exposing you to everything that you could possibly run into. So you have at least a little bit of exposure, a little bit of comfort knowing that, you know, I've been here, I've seen this, or I know a little bit about this and I know where I can start. Hmm. Okay. Matt's answer there sounded really familiar to me. I mean, the biggest thing I learned in school was how to think, how to problem solve, because that's what I do day in and day out is I get presented with new problems every day and stuff that I am not an expert in that I don't really have any knowledge on. And I have to figure out, given find solve, what do I know about the problem? What am I trying to figure out? And how am I going to get there? And that was what my engineering degree gave me was that problem-solving technique. That's our friend of the podcast, Angela Ashmore. She's an IndyCar race engineer for Chip Ganassi Racing's Marcus Erickson. And if you don't remember from last year, Angela made history as the first woman IndyCar crew member to win the Indy 500. You can check out her This Is Purdue episode at purdue.edu slash podcast or on your favorite podcast app. As I mentioned at the beginning of this episode, Matt works for all three Team Penske IndyCar drivers. Joseph Newgarden, Will Power, and Scott McLaughlin. So what exactly does an IndyCar design engineer do for these cars? Matt walks us through it. 
as design engineers, we are like the home base of, we work on full car development. And so we try to take the whole team forward. And then there is a separate group of people that will work individually on cars. My main role is to design or draw up parts in CAD software. So computer aided design software. And these parts are anything that anybody needs. So mechanics, race engineers, performance engineers, things of that sort, development projects, literally anything and everything. And so I take the quests of whoever needs something. I talk about what they want, you know, what they kind of envision for how they plan to have it. So it also could be just a problem like, hey, we have this problem, figure it out. And then I'll whip up a solution or I'll draw out the part. And then make you know manufacturing drawings and work with some machinists to make sure that we can actually make this thing and then have it made and put it together and make sure it works and then uh, check back and, and iterate if necessary. So sometimes if it's something quick, I can make it myself here, which I really enjoy. You can't do that everywhere. But here, the whole mission of the team is, you know, we're a team. You're not stepping on anybody's toes. We're all here just trying to make the cars go faster and win races. And so it's a very inclusive environment and whatever it takes to get it done, sort of mentality, which I really, really enjoy. We could be working on a development part one day. We could be working on a shop tool the next, or maybe some pit lane equipment. A lot of the stuff that you see the tire changers or the mechanics using in pit lane were probably designed by somebody like me. So there's a few of us that are just whipping up parts and drawing things that need made. So yeah, there's a, there's a good team of us. I asked Matt about his journey from graduating from Purdue to securing a job at Team Penske. If you would have told me a year ago today, well, as of recording this, that I'd be here, I would have, I would have laughed for one. I would have been like, no way, no shot. But my journey kind of goes, our academic advisor, Todd Nelson, he knew or he knows somebody that's on the NASCAR side here. And so he was at the FSAE, the Formula SAE competition in May up in Michigan. And he saw the guy that worked here. They started talking say there was some open positions here and he kind of put my name in. And then we got each other's contact information, had a phone call about my experiences prior to that time and uh, where I was hoping to go and what kind of environment I was hoping to be in. And then he gave my resume and contact information to the IndyCar guys and they reached out, scheduled some interviews and then went through the onboarding process and few weeks later, they flew me down to check out the place. And it was more just like, a, this is what you're going to get into. Is this what you expect? Are you ready? Yeah. Are you ready sort of deal? I was just excited. I was, I was so stoked. And here we are. What does that mean to you that you're working on these cars now? As I stated before, I was originally a NASCAR guy, but it's funny now that I'm in IndyCar, a lot of people who like think about Penske, they're like, oh, so what's the cup side like? They'll talk about NASCAR a lot. But uh, yeah, now that I'm in IndyCar... I wouldn't change it. Indy cars are so like, to me, they're way cooler. They, they go so much faster. They're more, well, arguably more complex depending on who you ask. But yeah, growing up in Indiana, like I said earlier, my parents always went to the Brickyard 400, but you always knew what was happening with the Indy 500. And so everybody in the state of Indiana knew when the Indy 500 was, and there was always talk about it. Like whenever May came around, that's when it would start to get real. And Matt specifically remembers the first time Roger Penske, founder and chairman of Penske Corporation, walked by him in the shop. When I came down for a visit before I was hired, I was just in awe, for one. The majority of the IndyCar team was gone that weekend for uh, a race. So there was only like a couple cars around and pretty much nobody, but I was still just in awe. And I remember the first time that Mr. Penske, Roger Penske, walked by and it's like, that's him. <laughs> yep, he's just a couple feet away now. It's like, yeah, that's my boss. <laughs> no pressure. And speaking of Mr. Penske, Penske Entertainment Corporation, a part of Penske Corporation, owns the Indianapolis Motor Speedway and the NTT IndyCar Series. So what does it mean to Team Penske to have a driver win the Indy 500 at the Penske-owned IMS? Being in Team Penske, you know, it's very special to us. And uh, we've had a long history of success and so we want to come back. But uh, yeah, there's a buzz, a hum. Everything is focused on, even if we're working towards a different race, there's still a focus on Indy, on development for Indy, testing for Indy. The 500 is the most important event on our calendar, probably because it has the 
longest history and the most tradition of any of the races that IndyCar has gone. IndyCar has gone through some weird years of splitting series and whatnot, but the thing that's always been true is the 500 with it being, you know, as big as it is, I think is one of the, if not the biggest single day sporting events in the world. You know, the attention is there. The eyes are on you. You either perform or you don't. One tiny minuscule mistake can just take you completely out of the race. And so you have to button all the hatches, cross all your T's, dot all your I's, and make sure everything is absolutely perfect. Then you have at least a shot to win. I mean, even if you do all the things right, you can still be knocked out. Matt shares some of his favorite Purdue memories. Plus, he discusses the role this special university has played in his life. From meeting lifelong friends to getting the opportunity to work for one of the most successful teams in motorsports. I was at the 2019 Ohio State football game where Purdue knocked them off. That was just absolutely electric. And I, growing up near Ohio and Kentucky in that area, there were a lot of diehard Ohio State fans that I knew. And I, I felt it in my heart knowing the kind of gut punch that we gave them. So that was super exciting. I was also at the 2021 Michigan State upset. So man, the run that they had the last couple of years, spoiling, you know, spoiler makers, spoiling big, big teams, you know, perfect years. It's those are fun games to be at. And then also having the first year there with my sister, we went to, I think, every home basketball game and we sat in the lower bowl because we both had paint grew. And so being in Mackie that year, we had a good team. I think we made it to the sweet 16. I mean, we've had good teams for the past five plus years, but uh, yeah, sitting in the lower bowl my freshman year about every game. It's just the atmosphere and the intro and Mackie and being down there is just unlike anything I've ever experienced. Like it gives me cold chills thinking about it. So those are, those are some of my favorite memories besides giving me, you know, skills of being an engineer and uh, you know, everything, the experience that comes with that. It's given me some of my best friends that I never would have thought I would find. I still talk to a lot of them weekly. Some of them aren't engineers. Some of them are engineers and it's been great people. It's given me some core memories, you know, going to sports games with my sister, you know, a big 10 school. That's just absolutely incredible to have those. And then it's also just helped me transition from being, you know, a high school kid to here I am today working on one of the most well-known, you know, race teams in the history of motorsport. And it's given me that opportunity. And it's also given me the confidence to know that, you know, whatever lies ahead for me, I have been through Purdue and it's been rigorous, but, you know, I made it through and I have this confidence and these capabilities to tackle anything that comes ahead of me. On a side note, it also introduced me to Breakfast Club and the Neon Cactus and Harry's and I'll leave those at that. (laughs) As for Matt's favorite part of his job, it's simply being immersed in that Team Penske culture and legacy. Being in the shop is very cool to be a part of such a historic team and successful team in the past. There was definitely an adjustment period of this is the Penske way. There's no absolutely no cutting corners on anything. Sometimes it's challenging. I will admit other times it's just like, wow, okay, I understand why they are who they are and how they've gotten here. So you walk around the shop and I look up because the shop's out over there and I can there's a whole row of cars that I can look at. But, you know, you walk in and you just see a row of cars and you're like, wow, these are going to be on the track, you know, on TV or they're, these are going to be on the Indy 500. Like this car could pull in the victory lane at any given weekend and make history. And there's historic memorabilia, banners around all over. So just really feeling a part of that is definitely very, very cool. And now I'd like to introduce you to an IndyCar and Team Penske veteran, Mike. He's been in the racing industry for almost two decades now. Mike is an aerodynamicist for Team Penske, and similar to Matt, he works on all three Team Penske IndyCars between Joseph, Will, and Scott. This Wisconsin native discusses when he first heard about Purdue. So when I was in high school, I went to a couple of internships or I guess shadowing days and got some exposure, some engineering around Wisconsin. And locally, there was no one doing aircraft, which is what I really wanted to do. So after a couple of these small experiences, I realized that I was going to look at a major that was dedicated only to aircraft design. And so when I looked for the schools in the area, that was my shortlist. Was any place that had aeronautical or astronautical engineering? So from that standpoint, 
Purdue became like on top of the list based on the reputation and also because it was within driving distance of Wisconsin. I went to look at a couple other schools and Purdue sort of felt more like home. So it kind of skewed my decision or skewed the way I was looking at it in terms of what school I chose. Mike says his experience with the Purdue School of Aeronautics and Astronautics and his experience now working for Team Penske are really quite similar. Both programs pile a whole bunch of work, say, here's what the expectation is, here's what you need to do, here's what we want to achieve. And then you kind of go through the steps and figure it out. Purdue, in the aero department specifically, tended to provide the most amount of challenge in terms of subject material. But then there was a corresponding workload along with it that one had to manage at the same time. That's no different than being in racing where you're trying to do multiple things during the same time. Or you're trying to manage different departments or different people and try to get all everyone in the same alignment and then move in the same direction. So I would say from preparation standpoint, when I went from a smaller high school in Wisconsin to Purdue, which was a large step, just understanding going from a very small student body to a very large student body, and then having to interact with a whole bunch of people, like interacting with a whole bunch of different people from different backgrounds, it ended up prepping me very well for being in racing where you have a diverse group of opinions, diverse group of perspectives, and the people you interact with come from very different backgrounds. But everyone has the same singular focus of uh, improving the car and improving our performance in order to win races. Now, originally, Mike was interested in working on airplanes. He explains why he ultimately went into motorsports instead. Part of the reason I went to racing instead of aircraft is I got enough exposure to aircraft to realize that the design cycles or your normal projects are five to seven years. So you might sit at your desk for a couple of years, design a wing, design a landing gear, design something, and you never get to see it. Or you very seldom get to see it actually in flight or on the plane. And I know this has changed over the last 25 years, but when I started 25 years ago, this is where it was. In racing, since the day I got here, almost 20 years ago, we have the mentality that if you find something on a Monday and you can get it on a car by Friday, that happens. And we do whatever we can. So there's a lot of times in the past, we don't have as much freedom with the current cars we used to, but when we had the freedom with the, with the, with the older cars, we would come up with an idea Monday, design it, I would work late night, figure it out. We'd issue it, get it manufactured by Wednesday, test it on Wednesday, and then ship it to the track for Friday. So it's a completely different cycle. Like it's a completely different time frame. I know more industries moving that way, but I think racing is still the pinnacle of that. Whereas if we can find something and test it on Wednesday and have enough information, we will race and test it at the track on Friday. And if it's beneficial, we'll, we'll actually use it that weekend. So it's one of those things where a lot of people outside of racing and outside of engineering, don't understand how fast stuff can be turned around nowadays. And there's a lot of technology goes behind it. And there's a lot of stuff that I don't think I would be exposed to at other companies if I wasn't at Penske. I thought that was a super interesting way of looking at things. And it totally makes sense. Mike has an awesome story about how he actually broke into the world of professional racing. It involves mailing letters. That's right, kids. There was no such thing as email back then. So Mike resorted to a little concept called snail mail. When I got done with my bachelor's, I did a short contract position with General Electric Research out in Albany, New York. And through that process, I kind of got interested in, in racing more and more. I had always wanted it as a fan, enjoyed rate, watching racing, but I kind of started learning more about the technical side. Um, then I had the opportunity to attend a test session at Run America with a friend of, my, friend of mine, one from a friend from grad school. And in talking to the racing, race engineers there... I realized it wasn't as exclusive or as difficult to get into as I originally intended or thought. Like I had the perception, and a lot of people still do, that more sports is difficult to enter or difficult to achieve. It's just a different niche. And it's no different than any very specific field of engineering. I think when I was graduating, the difference is that there wasn't the resources there now to understand who's in racing. Like there was only small specific racing magazines and stuff like that. So you could get all your information on aerospace or automotive. So, you know, you can go to your Fords or GMs or your Boeings or your Lockheeds. But in terms of trying to understand how you would actually enter into racing and work with the likes of Team Penske or a Formula One team or a NASCAR team, that wasn't very well defined from a school side and it wasn't very well defined from industry side. And there's also a lot of differences in the different departments. Like the aero department, I think there's only a handful of us that were really interested in racing in general. And I was one of the few that when I came back from my graduate degree, put my hand up, said, I want to go into racing. It was a little bit different than everyone else's path. In terms of eventually working into racing, after I did my small stint in GE, my advisor at Purdue, Professor Crosley, and my boss at General Electric, Dr. 
Seeley, went to grad school together at Arizona State. And through arrangements, we kind of figured out a way for me to go back to grad school to do research for General Electric. So when I was doing my master's, I was actually working as an employee of General Electric, and they sponsored my research. During that whole time being on a GE and going through the research, when I realized I wanted to go racing, then I started contacting anyone I could find in racing. And I was uh, very pleasantly surprised the amount of feedback I got from everyone from technical directors and aeronautics in Formula One to IndyCar teams to NASCAR teams and kind of put that all together to try to figure out how I build a study plan to help me achieve the goal of getting into racing. And then once I graduated with my master's, I answered a internship advertisement for a small company in Georgia. It was going to potentially lead to a full-time position, but it was not guaranteed. So then I went down to Georgia and I worked for approximately eight months as an intern at Panos, and that then turned into a full-time position as an aeronautist on the IndyCar some of the students and I, like my colleagues in grad school, we talked about it and still didn't really feel we knew exactly how to do it. And it was at the test where I met the race engineers at the Elkhart motorcycle test, where we got to the point where he, he talked enough into realizing it was just difficult. when we find the right person to apply to, the right person to talk to, but it was no different than applying for any other job. It was kind of, I guess at the time, since it was nearly 25 years ago, when you look at it, you don't know how junior everyone is, or you don't know the entry levels, right? When you go to a Boeing or you go to a, a GM, it's already understood that there's going to be senior level people, there's going to be entry level people and everywhere in between. In racing, when you only see two or three people on a timing stand, or you see a small amount of people attending each race, you don't really know how many people actually work at the shop, or you don't really know how many people actually it takes to run a car. So from that standpoint, it was hard to know unless you interned with the team itself, how you would acquire a full-time position with the team. So then going through that and talking to like writing, I probably wrote close to 200 to 300 letters to anyone I could find in racing using magazine articles and working it backwards where the address was and where the team was. Again, back then the internet was available when I first started school there, but it's still, especially racing, everyone, since it's a really close knit, but really private industry, it's also hard to find people. So I would use magazine articles to then cross-reference who was at what team and then reach out to them. And I probably got a 25 to 30% return rate of people re replying. And then I took the information from each of those replies and kind of worked it all together. Before recording this interview, I was curious to get into what exactly an aerodynamicist does. So what's a day in the life like for Mike? Every day is somewhat different, which is always good. And it's what keeps it fresh and it keeps it new every day. My primary responsibility is to perform all the aerodynamic testing for the team. So that will run the gambit from wind tunnel testing through track testing. So whether it's a design program that we've thought out and done the part our part design for, and then we build the parts and get everything manufactured and assembled, or whether it's going to the track and supporting the team in terms of making small changes to the car for setup and general development of performance. My days usually vary somewhere between starting in the morning doing design work so designing components either for our car or for our test beds, and then spending the rest of the afternoon doing data analysis or looking at results from previous testing or developing run plans and test plans for upcoming tests. Like I was trying to say before, like it is very diverse when you walk in the door some days, what you get into, which may have no bearing on your specific discipline or your specific field of study. But over the years, you've come accustomed to helping in other areas that your personality suits to or you have more strengths in depending on what your department is. So we've helped on various levels of all the way to the car. And it's one of those things where you sometimes you just grab because no one else is available and it's an important performance criteria that needs you need to solve. Or it's just a specific problem that's something you might have designed a couple of years ago that someone needs some help. So it sort of goes the whole gambit. And like I said, it's it keeps it super interesting because it's never... I don't think in the last couple of years it's ever been the same week to week and day to day. Mike highlights his work on all three Team Penske Indy cars. I'm responsible for delivering all the data and all of the setup information for the team. So my data and all the work I do is disseminated through all the race engineers, which then goes to set up the cars for the drivers. Since I've been here, it's never been specific for one driver. I will help on projects or design work that may be specific to a driver in terms of fit, finish, or something they want specifically. But in general, when it comes to all the information, the information is shared across the board uniformly. And on a weekly, monthly basis, I check in with each race engineer to make sure that they're getting what they need or if they need to see the data in a certain way or um, do we need to start making different 
presentations or do you want to see the data in a slightly different view? And we try to accommodate as much as possible due to time. You know, the race engineers do travel to every race, very busy and very focused on what they're trying to do specifically and trying to manage the whole entire car with the aerodynamics being one, one only one portion of it. Last year within the IndyCar series, Team Penske had nine total wins with Will Power, Joseph Newgarden, and Scott McLaughlin all visiting Victory Lane at least once. Team Penske finished first, second, and fourth in the championship standings overall. And Team Penske continued to blaze a new trail, becoming the first team in history to win both the IndyCar and NASCAR championships in the same season. Mike reflects on the camaraderie at Team Penske. At the end of the day, collectively as a team, this includes the IndyCar, NASCAR, and sports car areas and any other projects that we're developing or, or participating in. There's a very strong camaraderie between everyone. There's a lot of cross pollination between the different teams. There's a lot of, uh, you know, we do development projects together. Everyone's pretty familiar with each other and their skill sets, especially in my case, I'm fairly close with all the aero guys on the other different teams. So we'll go back and forth and congratulate each other when there's a win on another series. And as a team, as the whole company, we always celebrate race wins collectively, whether it's a lunch environment or a team celebration in the afternoon. And usually what that entails is some kind of celebratory toast as well as watching the recap from the race and everyone can see the success on the team. And fortunately for us, our drivers all live pretty close. So one of the benefits of being here is our drivers, when they can, unless they're traveling, are usually here on site. And if they can't, they, they remote in. And you know, with all the Zoom and everything else, it's been pretty cool to have them either record a message or, or join, join live video and you know express their appreciation for the whole team. It is truly a team environment. We're all trying to move in the same direction and push in the same direction. We're one team, one organization. We win as a group. And if we struggle, we struggle as a group. As we discussed earlier in this episode with Matt, Roger Penske is one of the most recognizable names in American motorsports. Here's Mike. I've always admired the organization as the way it's run and the way it's presenting itself. And more so Mr. Penske specifically, like the standard he sets. And from day one, when I entered into the facility, like we, you had perceptions from the outside of how it worked and how professional it would be and stuff like that. It is that and then some once you get inside of everything. It's the access to the latest technology that we're trying to do. It's the constant push. It's the constant demand. No day is boring whatsoever. At times, the pace can be super frantic. April and May are at times a little rough on my family due to all our testing requirements. But at the same time, I wouldn't have it any other way. So it's no different than your push for finals or your push on a final project at Purdue. It's just magnified in terms of the expectations and the consequences of what you're trying to do or how much you can actually find in a given design cycle. So what does the iconic Indy 500 mean to Mike after all of these years? Being part of a couple of Indy wins, you realize how special and how fortunate you are to be part of it. There are years where we're probably faster than we show and you may not win. And there's years where you're like, well, I think we did the best job we can. We have a pretty good car. And then we win the race. The amount of prep work that goes into it, the large amount of development work that goes into it is always satisfying. And the better the car performs or the better the team does, is always satisfying. But every year, just the amount of effort we do to dig to find that last little bit of performance is different. And we just try to keep striving on that. And it is Indy 500 and Indianapolis specifically is the overall goal of our company. It is permeated through everything we do. It's the first objective of the year. You know, you can easily say, okay, we were not willing to do X, Y, and Z. And then you bring it up, say, I think it's going to make us a little bit quicker in India. And it's like, oh, okay, go do it. It is very intense and very hard to explain until you get on the inside. It's one of those things where if you were to work on something for India every single day, that would be a success for the year. And in terms of that, it is by far one of the hardest races to win. It's by far one of the hardest races to qualify for, especially up front all the time. And from that, on the outside looking in, you always see, okay, it must take a lot of work. And then you get inside and you realize how much everyone does all year just for this one race. Now, Mike isn't a race engineer, so he doesn't travel to every race with the team. But he does, of course, watch all the races. I asked him how he will be watching this year's Indy 500. I will be sitting with my kids and my lovely wife and my kids and my wife will be cheering and yelling and rooting everybody on. And I will be quietly watching the race, trying to take it all in. 
sweating. Well, I get more nervous for qualifying than I do for the race. The qualifying is more of the car being on the razor's edge of performance. And the race is more of a polished setup for the drivers to feel comfortable for, you know, three to four hours of racing where qualifying is essentially every lap you're laying it out to the limit of the car and trying to make sure that you push it as hard as you possibly can to get every little bit of performance out, but not cross the line where you've either pushed the car too hard and the performance starts to degrade or you push the car too hard and you have an incident. Our This Is Purdue podcast team had the opportunity to attend an indie test day at IMS in April. And Team Penske's Joseph Newgarden had the fastest lap that day out of 33 other IndyCar drivers. He hit a peak of 237 miles per hour at turn three. Joseph also recently won his second consecutive victory at Texas Motor Speedway, a 1.5-mile oval track in April. Mike explains how these wins for Team Penske can be analyzed before the Indy 500 to make additional tweaks and improvements to the cars. Joseph's results are encouraging, so are Scott and Will's but we usually just use it mainly as a test session to then prove out our data, prove out our predictions, prove our simulation, all the stuff that we work on to try to give the race engineers the best information available so they can make the best decisions at the track. It does also allow us to prove out some stuff that they may have been working on all off season that although there was an oval race that Joseph won at Texas, Texas is enough of a difference to Indy that it doesn't translate exactly one-to-one. So what's good at Texas may not be exactly good at Indy. Yeah, it might be not exactly good, but it's usually on the right track. So you might have something that's really, really good at Texas, and it's better at Indy. Or you might have something that's okay at Texas, but looks like it has some promise. And then once the guys have a little more time to fine-tune it, it is excellent at Indy. Before I got in the series, I thought a lot of it was just cookie cutter. What works at this race is going to work at that race. Or, you know, if we're fast here, we should be fast there. And over the years, the nuance between all the tracks, the nuance between all the setups, the nuance between whether it's a permanent road course like we just raced at at Barber, or whether it's a temporary street course like St. Pete, or it's a short oval like Gateway, or it's Indianapolis. Each one has a different requirement. Each one has a different driver parameter and stuff like that. And speaking of Joseph, although he is a two-time NTT IndyCar Series champion and the winningest current American driver in the series... He doesn't have that coveted title of an Indy 500 winner under his belt quite yet. Here's Mike on his experience working with Indy 500 winning drivers. Indy 500 is a special race in and of it is how hard it is to win and how many people try. And the amount of effort and work that goes into it is pretty intense. So when we are successful, and I've been successful a handful of times, it is pretty special in terms of which driver wins it because we know them personally. And you know that a lot of them have been striving for a long time in their careers and it's basic. Especially here, it can be a career pinnacle achievement. It's special for everyone, but here it has that little bit more of a significance. And just knowing the amount of work that all the guys do. I don't know uh, how other teams are, but we have a fair amount of interaction with mechanics and the truck drivers and all the support staff and everyone that goes, everything that goes into the car from the people in the car shop to our painters. And so from that standpoint, every day you see how much work everyone puts into it. And it is a truly collective effort. So from that standpoint, it is really satisfying. You know, sometimes you may be completely exhausted as we watch the race with all the effort you put into it. And you may not have the right perspective in what you've done or whatever and feel satisfied, but you are always satisfied for everybody else. And you're always happy for everybody else as well. It is a large amount of celebration for it. And personally, it's been a pretty high pinnacle achievement for me and to be happy to be part of so many wins. But then at the same time, like I was saying, we essentially turn the page Monday and start focusing on next year and try to figure out what we didn't do right this year and try to improve upon that. And what we did right, we try to magnify or amplify for the next year. As for Mike's favorite race, it's actually not the Indy 500. It's the annual IndyCar race at Road America, located midway between Milwaukee and Green Bay in Elkhart Lake, Wisconsin. Mike explains the importance of this track to him and his family. And it's the race my dad used to take me on little. We went probably six, seven, eight times since I was little until I graduated. And then it was, I believe it was the first IndyCar race I took my wife to. So it does, that track has a special place for me. It's also local to where all my family is uh, in Wisconsin. So it's the whole area. It's specifically the race in general, but it's the whole area of that part of Wisconsin that's what's familiar. 
This year's 107th running of the Indianapolis 500 presented by Gainbridge is on Sunday, May 28th, 2023. Both Matt and Mike say they don't make any predictions when it comes to choosing an Indy 500 winner. Here's Mike. I personally don't choose a driver. Okay. I learned that a long time ago. <laughs> that usually comes back to haunt me from the particular driver, even if I predict for them to win, because usually I get the year wrong, but I don't get the driver wrong. So yeah, from that standpoint, I'll say I hope that Team Pesky wins the 500. And I will say that I hope Team Pesky wins the poll. To say that I have a driver in the fight, I don't. And here's Matt. I do know that it means a lot to a lot of people to win the 500. It is just such a special thing. And for it to be in Indiana, the historic factor of the 500, just the worldwide well-known aspect of it. You know, you could talk to anybody from in the motorsport world, not even US, but they know about the Indy 500. They will know who wins the Indy 500. You know, to be on a team that has a chance to win the Indy 500 is just, it makes me feel very, very, it makes me feel really good. I definitely wouldn't have got here if I wouldn't have chosen to go to Purdue. Finally, I ask both Matt and Mike why they're proud to be Boilermakers. Here's Mike. I think it's more of the people that I met and um, the relationships that I have. It was pretty daunting for starting up Purdue, going to a smaller high school and entering into the university with, I think at the time, my freshman class was 7,000 people, which was a little overwhelming and a little bit to take in at first. But once I got my feet under me and kind of experienced the camaraderie and the struggles and everything that Purdue affords you, it was as rewarding as racing has been. You know, I credit a lot of the stuff that I do now to the knowledge I learned at Purdue, but different than I think some other schools. Purdue also tends to foster an environment of continually learning and curiosity. And I think from a racing standpoint, that's actually more important a lot than sometimes just the technical part. Like you can have someone super smart in any, any, any major, any degree, and they'll work to a limit. Well, here, you know, if you find something that's curious and you find speed in it, we usually follow that path to the logical conclusion. And at times, since I've been here, it's not always been, like I said previously, on the technical side. It could be organizational or it could be just helping some guys do their job more efficiently like designing some bits to make stuff easier for someone to do. Or it could be something completely non-aerodynamic related, but sort of tangential. And if it seems to make the car go faster, we follow that. It's hard to exactly explain. Like a lot of people who enter into racing may not stay in their current field, but it's a truly merit-based, at least in our team, it's truly a merit-based industry. So if you find something, you come in as, a, as an engineer, like say as your designer, and you come in and you have a niche for something, you show an aptitude for something. A couple of years later, you may no longer do a design. You may be doing that, knowing that that is what gives the team the best uh, best chance of the highest performance. And I think that's what you learn at Purdue is, you know, some days may be overwhelming. Some days may be, you may not be able to see the end of the, the tunnel, but, you know, you just dig deep. You use your plan and you use you use your ability to to kind of piece everything together and you just keep pushing to get to the end of it. Purdue to me, exemplifies perseverance, exemplifies dedication, all that stuff that I think a lot of us who, especially in the engineering schools, I think a lot of us get a second gear and you don't realize how much you can actually do until you try to dig yourself out of all the late night holes of all the homework and all the labs and everything else you need to do that, you know, years before they'd be like, oh, I'm pretty good. I know, I know science, I know math. I'm pretty good at this stuff. And then you get to Purdue and it kind of resets your expectations and resets your uh, baseline of what you think is possible. And I've met a lot of engineers across the, the years that I think other schools do still do a good job. But from my experience on average, well, not even average, not my experience, you can tell the difference between a Purdue engineering grad and uh, other schools. And here's Matt. Whenever I meet somebody that graduated from Purdue, you know, you, you know, they're a very you know, you can trust that person, you know, they've been through the ringer, you know, they've learned a lot. There's a very good sense of tradition about the community. A lot of them know the history. I probably should learn more of the history, but, you know, I get a little bit of osmosis just talking to people, but, uh, you know, they're the type of people you want in your corner and they're trustworthy, dependable and hardworking. And I know one of the taglines during COVID was Purdue grit, but these boilermakers are gritty and they get things done. Absolutely. Does Team Penske see that in you too? <laughs> I've been told a little bit, maybe, yes. Try to. So I'm still pretty new, but 
I think they enjoy having me around and I definitely enjoy being around. So I'm definitely going to take the opportunity to learn as much as I can and to contribute as much as I can. And as for Mike, he's looking forward to teaching fellow Boilermaker Matt the ropes as he grows in his Penske career. There's a lot of cool stuff that we're really excited to show Matthew, but unfortunately I can't share it outside the team. It's a really interesting industry. And at the end of the day, just like when we brought Matthew on, it's one of those things where you just try to pay it forward. Like everyone who gave me all the advice when I wrote all those letters, I try my best. Thank you so much to both Matt and Mike for being part of This Is Purdue. They were, after all, a little bit busy, but they still made the time for us. We wish Team Penske the best of luck in this year's Indy 500. Head over to our podcast YouTube page, youtube.com slash at sign, this is Purdue, to check out some of our videos with Matt and Mike. Plus, head over to our persistent pursuit, stories.purdue.edu, to check out all of the Purdue-related Indy 500 items. This is Purdue is hosted and written by me, Kate Young. Our podcast videography is led by Ted Schellenberger in collaboration with John Garcia, Thad Boone, and Allie Cheney. Our social media marketing is led by Ashley Schroyer. Our podcast design is led by Caitlin Freeville. Our podcast team project manager is Emily Jessilitis. Our podcast YouTube promotion is managed by Megan Hoskins and Kirsten Vorst. And our podcast research is led by our This Is Purdue intern, Sophie Ritz. Thanks for listening to This Is Purdue. For more information on this episode, visit our website at purdue.edu slash podcast. There you can head over to your favorite podcast app to subscribe and leave us a review. And as always, boiler up. <laughs>